We are in Acts chapter 8. And we are looking at verses 26 through 40. So Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. past few weeks we've been looking at the ministry of a, a man named Philip, and the story continues here. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does a prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That sends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find that they have been welcomed in to God's kingdom. During the Second World War, there was a company of American soldiers who were fighting in the, the rural countryside of France. And, and during one of their intense battles, one of these soldiers died. Not wanting to leave his body behind on the battlefield, his buddies decided that they were going to give him a Christian burial. And they, they remembered this church that they, had, that they had passed only a few miles back from the front lines, uh, a church whose grounds had a small cemetery surrounded by a, a white fence. And so they got permission from their commanding officer and to take their friend's body in order that they might bury him there. And thus they set out for the church, arriving just before sunset. And yet when they had arrived, they encountered a priest. Now this priest was quite old, he had a hunched back on a frail body, and yet there was life within this man, for set within his, his wrinkled face were these fierce eyes, eyes that flashed with both a great wisdom and a, and a deep passion. 
But before this priest could speak, one of the soldiers just kind of blurted out, our friend, was, he was killed in battle. We, we wanted to give him a church burial. Now, they're in France, right? And so this priest, he, he only understood a little bit of English. He could speak it a little bit, but not very well. Um, and yet, after seeing their dead comrade, he, he knew exactly what they were asking. And so in the broken English that he had, he, he sadly said to them, I'm sorry, but we can bury only those of the same faith here. Well, weary and discouraged these soldiers, they simply turned around and began to walk away. But before they were out of earshot of this old priest, uh, the old man called after them. But, he said, you can bury him outside the fence. Grateful, these soldiers did exactly that. They, they buried their friend, giving him the, the Christian burial that, that he would have wanted. Like I said earlier, for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the, the ministry of this man named Philip. He was a Hellenistic Jew, um, someone who, who had become a convert to the Christian faith. And along with Stephen, if you remember Stephen, he, he also was one of the seven, one of the seven that were chosen to oversee the, the distribution of food within the Jerusalem church, making sure that all the widows were taken care of. And when, when Stephen was martyred, if you remember, it, it opened up the floodgates of persecution, right? The, the church was now going through a, a great tribulation, and many had to flee Jerusalem in order to survive. Philip being one of these people who had to scatter to the wind. And yet God had a purpose behind this. For, for he had led this Philip to the region of Samaria, where he was instrumental in bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the people there. And his preaching, if you remember, it had a powerful effect. A powerful effect on those who were living in that land. For God had used this Philip to bring about a great repentance. As the people had now left behind the, the dark magic that they used to follow. And, and were now instead following Jesus Christ. Their Lord and Savior, the light of the world. And there was even this man named Simon, you remember? This guy who was the great magician among them, Right? And yet, what does Luke tell us? That even he believed in this Jesus and was baptized in his name. And so while this persecution was breaking out within Jerusalem, the kingdom was growing. And that kind of boggles the mind, doesn't it? you think it would be the opposite, but it's not. It is under the most duress that the church flourishes and spreads. And that's because the gospel is the power of God, right? And there is no strength on this earth that can overcome the message of the gospel. 
And yet God was not done with this Philip. For he would once again use this man to have an impact in, in places other than Samaria. And this is exactly what we see in our story today. Look, look again at verses 26 through 29. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So one of the, one of the first things we should notice as we look at this text for today it was that God was guiding Philip's steps. You see that? First, he did so by, by speaking to Philip through, through an angel, and then again by speaking to Philip directly, telling him to go over and join this chariot. Now, now, now think about this. I mean, God had, had sent this man into the middle of nowhere, right? To this road going from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Luke describes it as a desert place. This, this wasn't populated by anyone except for the occasional traveler that, was, that, that happened to pass by. And God didn't give Philip any reason as to why he was sending him either. Yet this is what God had told him to do. And so he did it. And as we'll soon find out, God was directing Philip's steps in order to lead him into an effective ministry. I think too often within the church today, we, we find ourselves doing what is safe, doing what is practical, doing what we are told will be successful according to the world, right? Instead of trying to listen to God's voice, we tend to focus on statistics uh, on what, what works, rather than relying on God's guidance when it comes to our ministry. I mean, I mean think about what, what Philip was asked to do. I mean, go and, and leave this super successful ministry to the Samaritans and travel into the desert. I mean, does this make sense to anyone? And yet Philip obeyed God's voice. Would that we listen to God's voice like Philip did and become obedient to the direction that he is calling us to. But, but maybe you're saying to yourself, but pastor, God, he, he doesn't speak to me the way that he spoke to Philip. God has never sent to me an angel. He has never told me exactly what it is that I'm to do. He never said Corey, go out into the desert. Yes, this is true. But it's also true that God has, has given to you his completed word, right? That's something that Philip didn't have. And it's in his word that we hear God's voice, that we discover the mission that God has called us to. 
For Christ has, has told us to go and, and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded of us. And so God's voice is clear. And our mission is clear as well. We are to be witnesses. We are to spread the gospel. And we are to be discipling those who, who we see one to Christ. Hey, we, have, we have more than just God's word, don't we? For God has given to each and every one of us his Holy Spirit as well. This one who trains us. This one who, who gives us spiritual understanding. This one who prompts our hearts in fulfilling that mission. It was just the other day that I got into a conversation with my mechanic. And we were talking about family life and the busyness of all that's going on. And we're all busy, right? Um, when suddenly I, I, I felt this urge, this nudge to in, invite this man to church. And so I, I said a, a quick, silent little prayer. What do you think, God? Should I invite him? Now, that's not a very smart prayer, is it? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you can guess how God would answer a prayer like that. Of course I should invite him. But that's what the Spirit does. He, he, he reminds us of our calling in the day-to-day. He, he prompts our hearts that we might be effective witnesses for Jesus. The question we need to ask ourselves is, are we listening? Philip was listening. And he was led to this road in the desert where he encountered an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, what do we know about this man? What, what, what does Luke tell us? Well, for one, he's an Ethiopian, right? He was from the, the kingdom of Nubia, which was south of Egypt. And we know that he was a eunuch, a man who had been castrated. Now, perhaps he was a eunuch by birth, or maybe some accident had caused his misfortune. But most likely, this was probably done to him on purpose, because the other thing we see is that this man was also a court official. We are told that he was in the service of a woman named Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And a common practice with, within the royal courts at that time was to have their male servants castrated, particularly if they were serving female royalty. I'm not going to get into the reasons why that is, but there was reasons. But what else do we know about this man? We, we know that he was in charge of the entire treasury of this Candace. And so he held a, a very important role, a prestigious position within the kingdom. I mean, he was in charge of the wealth of, the, of, of his nation's queen. Now, in order to have such a position, this man would have had to have been an educated man. A, a, a wise man, some, someone who had wisdom, someone who had a high moral character. I mean, think about it. A queen doesn't go trusting her fortune to just anyone, right? am I right? And yet, 
having high such a high position meant that he too was probably a man of means <coughs> that he had his own wealth and this was why he was able to make this long long journey to Jerusalem traveling upon a chariot nonetheless now, now this chariot would it wouldn't have been the type of chariot that we typically think of right yeah I don't know if you Ben-Hur, anyone? You know? <laughs> um, this wasn't a war chariot that this man was riding. That's, that's not what people used to travel back then. Rather, it would have been more like a large carriage that, that would have been uh, pulled by beasts of burden. Uh, a carriage that would have had excess room in order to store all, all that this man would need for his journey. And, and not just what he needed, but but for the needs of his animals and for everyone else who was traveling with him. Yes, this man would not have been traveling alone. Uh, he would have needed a driver uh, as well as other servants who would attend to other needs, tend to the beasts. Um, there probably would have been some soldiers as well, making sure that the whole group would remain protected on such a long journey and in those desert roads that they were traveling through. But it's not just his chariot that gives us a clue as to this man's wealth, but, but the fact that he was reading from the book of Isaiah, that tells us also that this was a man of means. To, to have within your possession an Isaiah scroll <clears throat> demonstrates tremendous wealth. I mean, at that time, scrolls were not cheap. Yes, even though this, this Ethiopian was a eunuch, he, he was also a, a rich man. But, but why was he traveling? Why, why did he take this, this long journey to Jerusalem? Again, what does Luke tell us? He, that, that he had come to Jerusalem in order to worship. In order to worship. I find this fascinating. And why would a man from, from Ethiopia travel such a long way to, to worship? It's because he was a worshiper of Yahweh, uh, of the one true God. Somehow, this man had become a, a, a Jewish proselyte. Somehow he had heard about the, the, the God of the Jews and began to worship this God. How this came to be, we, we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. But whatever the case, he had become so devoted that he decided to travel to Jerusalem to worship his newfound God. Now I want you to pause for a moment and put yourself in this man's shoes. This man, he held an important role within the courts of his queen. This, this wasn't just some job that you could take months off at a time if he felt like it. No. He was at his queen's beck and call. And so what this means, in order to make this journey, a journey which would have taken months, he would have needed special permission from the queen herself. I can only imagine the nerves that this man had to muster within in order to, to ask his queen in the first place, right? Do you mind if I take two months off, three months off? 
How many of you would ask your boss that? That's not an easy question. And he's asking the queen, right? But it wasn't just the, the, the time that this journey would take, but the cost as well. For, for to bring the, the, the entourage that a trip like this would have required would have, been even, would have put even more of a burden upon his queen. And yet, this man found favor from Queen Candace, right? She allowed him to go and to worship his God. Now, now, when you consider all that this man had to go through, including the long journey that he made, I, I'm sure that, that once he had arrived to Jerusalem, that, that once he approached that city and saw the, the, the glittering gold of, of the temple off in the distance, I'm sure that his heart skipped a beat. I mean, he was so close to what he longed for, to be in the presence of his God and to worship him. How, how thrilled he must have been as he entered the gates of that city, the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 23. And look at verse 1. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Here's what you need to know when it comes to eunuchs in the worship of God. Being a eunuch meant that, that one would have not been allowed to go anywhere near that temple. For according to, to Jewish law, the, that, that outward blemish that a eunuch had forbade that man from entering in to God's courts. And that's because God is a holy God. And no unclean thing could be welcomed inside. Now imagine the, the disappointment that this man must have felt walking up to the gate of that temple only to be turned away. Again, think of all the sacrifices that were made to make this trip possible. Not only sacrifices by himself, but, but sacrifices by his queen as well. And think of all the time and the, and the effort that went into this journey only to have the, have the door slammed in your face. And think about this man's desire. His desire to truly worship his God. Only to be told that that desire would never be fulfilled. And what a crushing blow that must have been. How this man's heart must have broke. Now, now it's possible that, the, that he knew all this ahead of time, that he would not be allowed to enter the, the, the temple courts, but, but most likely he didn't. I don't think he would have made such a journey knowing that he would be turned away from the assembly. And perhaps this is why he purchased this Isaiah scroll. Maybe even other scrolls of God's word. For he was now, now trying to figure things out. He was trying to learn more about his newfound faith. He, he was looking for answers. Answers to why he would have been turned away. 
answers to if this God of the Jews could truly accept him. And thus he became an avid reader, right? Maybe the answers to his questions would be found within these scrolls. Look at, look at verses 30 and 31. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, now this question that Philip had asked this man do you understand what you are reading was a question of opportunity, right? Philip, Philip knew that, that, that God had sent him to this man for a reason, and, and now, after hearing him read from the book of Isaiah, he understood why. And particularly, as we'll soon find out, from Isaiah 53. It, it had become obvious to Philip that, that God was giving him an opening for the gospel to be shared. And thus the question, do you understand what you are reading? I mean, what a wise, wise question. You see, Philip, Philip knew that, that reading doesn't necessarily mean understanding, right? I've got some sons who are in school right now that have reading assignments. And one son in particular, he'll have to read things over and over and over again because he's not really understanding what he's reading. Um, and, and some of this has to do with his lack of concentration. Um, but some of it has to do with, there's a brand new word. I have no idea what that word means. Okay, I'll go on to the next word. Right? <laughs> We've all been there, right? You see, by, by asking this question, Philip was trying to understand himself what this man's knowledge was. Did he understand what this passage was referencing? How, how it spoke about Jesus, about his life and his death, and eventually his vindication. And yet this man didn't know. For, for how did he answer Philip's question? How can I unless someone guides me? What a great answer, right? And there's a lesson that can be learned from this man, for that, that the scriptures are to be read on the author's terms and not our own terms. I mean, how can an Ethiopian understand the writings of a, of a Jewish man from 600 years ago unless there is someone there to bridge that gap? Someone who knows both the historical and cultural context of Isaiah's day that undergirds this passage. You see, in, in our postmodern society, we have arrogantly decided that it is the reader who holds all the power, right? So, so whatever the, the reader deems to be true it becomes the truth for that reader. I and mean, who cares about the author's original intent? It's what the words mean to me that is of most importance. While this method of interpretation might get you praises in today's universities, it does not fly with God. 
And you will never truly understand what the Bible says unless you understand what God intended. What God meant when he spoke his word through his servants. And yes, yes, he, he used his servants' cultures. He, he used their historical landscape in order to convey a message to his people. And this is basically what, what the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to know, right? What was God communicating when he spoke through the prophet Isaiah? When Isaiah had penned these words. And so this Ethiopian, he was right in the fact that he needed someone to guide him. And it was that type of humility that would eventually lead him to the truth. Let's, let's consider the passage that he was reading. Look at, look at verses 32 through 34. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? The timing of Philip's arrival, it could have been, couldn't have been more perfect, perfect, am I right? I mean, this, this passage, it comes to us from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And there is not a more perfect passage than that passage. It's a prophetic passage that deals precisely with the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. And it practically preaches the gospel itself. And what a great question by this eunuch. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Who is this suffering servant of the Lord? And that is a crucial question to ask. For, for the identity of this man is of it's vital importance. And, and let's be honest, you, you couldn't have a better setup for the gospel than this. It's, it's as if the, the, the ball was just placed on the tee and, and Philip just, all he had to do was swing, right? And so how would Philip respond? Look, look at the next verse. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him, told him the good news about Jesus. And so Philip began with the very scripture that this man had read. He, he used the words of Isaiah as a, as a springboard into the good news of Jesus Christ. He shared with him about who Jesus is, about what Jesus had done about his life and his death, about his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. That's why I say this was teed up for Philip, right? For this short little snippet that this eunuch was reading, it's really part of a larger section in the book of Isaiah, a section that goes into detail about Jesus' sacrificial death. And I'm sure that Philip began to explain to this man the whole of this passage, right? 
And what's amazing about this particular scripture is not only its prophetic accuracy concerning the death of Jesus, but but also it, it perfectly describes the meaning of the cross as well. For example, look at look at Isaiah fifty three verses five and six. But he was pierced for our transgressions; he he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I hope you understand this, but as Christians, we have an an embarrassment of riches when it comes to prophetic messages concerning Jesus Christ. And yet Isaiah's suffering servant, particularly in chapter 53, it might be the most significant prophecy of them all. And that's because in this passage, not only do we see how Jesus died, but we see the meaning behind his death as well. I mean, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It doesn't get any clearer than that. It is only through this suffering servant, through through Jesus Christ, that we can be made right with God. It's only through him that we can find peace with God, that our sins can be forgiven. You see, Jesus' death, it was an atoning sacrifice. The sacrifices that we needed to wipe our slate clean. And I'm sure that Philip had made that point abundantly clear to this man. He would have called him to repentance and to faith in this suffering servant, in this Jesus But more than that, he he would have demonstrated to this man how how Jesus now makes us clean, right? How, How he heals us from our broken state and grants us entrance into his Father's throne room. And my guess was that it was this good news that would have stirred the Ethiopian's heart. After making such a long journey, to be in God's presence, only to be rejected because he had been deemed as unclean. With his wounds, we are healed. Perhaps like this eunuch, you too feel like you are not welcomed into God's presence. You may not have some physical blemish that would keep you out of the assembly, but But you know deep within that there is a blemish, a blemish within your own heart. Because of your sin, you you have been racked with guilt. You have been racked with shame. And if God is is truly as holy as as he claims to be, then, then, then how could one like me stand before him? Why would he want any part of me? And what's crazy about this is, is, is you're right. Because of your sin, you have been stained. 
Because you have broken God's law, you have this blemish and have been deemed as unclean. And you are just like that Ethiopian eunuch who, who had been barred from entering the temple, who had been barred from God's presence. And yet this passage from the book of Isaiah tells us a different story, does it not? It, it tells us that, that, that Jesus has fulfilled the law for you, that he has paid the penalty for your sins, that he took upon himself your brokenness that he has brought healing to your soul. And he has done so through the suffering that he faced upon that cross. And if you turn from your sins and trust in him, then just like this eunuch, you will find that you, yes, you, are no longer excluded. Rather, God will smile upon you as he welcomes you into his presence. Dear friends, this, this passage from Isaiah, it was not just written for this Ethiopian eunuch. It was written for you as well. That you might have peace with God. That you might be healed from your afflictions. And that you might be welcomed into his kingdom. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. For he, he, he takes what is not clean and he makes it clean. He, he opens the door to God's throne room. He allows you entrance. And it was this opening of these doors that this eunuch experienced. Take a look at our next two verses. Look at, it says this. And as they were going along the road and came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. How, how gracious is our Redeemer that, that, that he would place this body of water next to that road on which they were traveling? And think of the question that the eunuch asked. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? And that's just it. There was nothing preventing him. It no longer mattered that he was a eunuch. For in Christ, he had been made whole. And that's why there was no hesitation on the part of Philip, right? That this man should be baptized. For this man had repentant faith in Jesus Christ. And he would now be welcomed in to the kingdom of God. Brothers, sisters, I, I, I hope you see the beauty in this baptism. For it is a reflection of this man's acceptance into the assembly of God. What had been refused this man at the gate of the temple had now been given to him in these baptismal waters. For he had now been accepted. All because Jesus had made him clean.
It wasn't until after nightfall that the soldiers had finished burying their friend. The next morning, their entire unit was ordered to move on. And yet before they left, these comrades of that fallen soldier, they, they raced back to that little church in order to say their final farewell to their friend. And yet to their dismay, when they had finally arrived, they, they could not find the gravesite. Tired and confused, they, they knocked on the, the door of that church. That's when they saw the weary face of that old priest. They, they asked him if he knew where, the, where they had buried their friend. They, it was dark, they said, and we were exhausted. We must have been disoriented. Great big smile flashed on that old priest's face, and he and he said to them, "After you left last night, I could not sleep, so I went outside early this morning, and I moved the fence." Dear friends, when it when it comes to Christ's kingdom, there 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 is no exclusion. There there is no fence that divides us. And and anyone who has repentant faith in Jesus will be welcomed. It doesn't matter your past. It it doesn't matter what you did beforehand. Whatever it was that had kept you outside no longer has any power. Because if you are in Jesus, then he has welcomed you in. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of our Savior. And this brings us full circle to the end of our passage, where we will once again see the Holy Spirit guiding his servant. Look at, look at our last two verses. Look at verses 39 and 40. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Again, we see the the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. Luke Luke tells us that, that, that Philip was spirited away, right? Vanishing from the view of this Ethiopian eunuch. And again, this this was a sign from the Holy Spirit, not not only that that Jesus is sitting on his throne, but that God's kingdom was once again expanding, expanding to those who had once been declared as unclean according to God's law, expanding to those who had once been denied entrance into God's presence, for they have now been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And this is why we see this rejoicing within the heart of this eunuch, of this Ethiopian, of this newly formed Christian. For he had now been filled with the Holy Spirit, demonstrating that he truly was a child of God. And as if the news couldn't get any better, there, there is one more thing that needs to be said. For for I have to imagine that after Philip vanished, that this overjoyed Ethiopian would have once again grabbed that Isaiah scroll and would have began reading it once again from where he had left off. 
And in God's providence, this man would have discovered some of the most encouraging words that he would ever, ever read. For in just three chapters, his, his eyes would have come across these words. Look at, look at Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I mean, it's almost as if God had written these words specifically for this man. That God had placed them within this Isaiah scroll for the sole purpose of bringing encouragement to this Ethiopian eunuch. For though he was once cut off, he had now been giving, given an everlasting name. A name within God's temple. And that's because Christ had fulfilled the law for him. And in so doing, had made him clean. And he can make you clean as well. If you will just turn from your sins and trust in him. You no longer need to feel excluded. Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins. He has granted you entrance into his throne room. And he has etched your name on that eternal stone, giving you the confidence that you need, the confidence that you will always be accepted. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown to us in unclean people. That there is no blemish that you cannot erase. We confess to you that, 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 that we are filled with blemishes. That we are filled with sin and unbelief. And yet, yet we rely upon your son and what he did. It's only through his sacrifice that we can be made clean. And, and so we ask through the power of your Holy Spirit, that, that you would help us to, to live our lives in the, in the truth of this message. That like the, that Ethiopian eunuch, we would rejoice in your son. That we would praise his name because of the work that he accomplished for us. The work that he did upon that cross. And that we would walk confidently confidently knowing that, that we too have been accepted because of what your son did. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.